So hello and welcome to episode seven of the Real World Fitness Podcast. And again, I've got myself into game. We've got another guest on the show. Um, an old friend of mine who a lot of worked with for a long time. And actually for a couple of years, we uh, lived together in flat shared, which was uh, great fun at times. And many times, well, kind of gave us the uh, topics we're going to go over today. Um, we'd sit there kind of calling out a lot of the uh, misinformation, shall we say, in the uh, in the fitness industry, so uh, Sam Kelvy of Saw Performance uh, is my guest today. So Sam has been what, personal trainer and um, kind of more accurately a UK SCA strength and conditioning coach for you know, probably coming on for ten years now. He's worked with everybody from you know, like I say, general population clients in the gym to athletes at the elite level ranging from you know, rugby league i think um you know, he'll tell you all the different sports he's worked with so i'm doing a bad job of this in showing you so i'm going to take over tell everyone a bit about yourself uh hello and um, yeah i i got um i started off with uh, doing exercise science at loughborough um and then i moved up towards manchester way um, with view of just actually moving out of Loughborough, which is quite rare. Um, not many people managed to do that. Uh, when I moved up, I, I wasn't here long, and I, I got um, I got the job with Witness Vikings as head of athletic development. So I was there for about three and a bit years, I think, and uh, created a, a great little academy with with the other staff there that wound up with quite a few players making the first team. Um, also worked with Manchester Phoenix ice hockey alongside that. Uh, that was that was really good fun because neither of those sports I actually do. I can't skate and I've never played rugby, uh, which makes life interesting. But there shouldn't be any any limits on what you can sort of uh, provide. So that's cool. And I've, uh, it, it does make you get creative. Certainly, um, I work with a bit of taekwondo as well. That was good. Uh, the odd cricketer, um, currently working with uh, a motorcycle racer, actually, which is very interesting. So yeah, um, but you're loving that one. That's about a, it, really. But you're loving that one being a motorcycle fan yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's dead interesting because it's dead, there's no other sport like um, like it because you know motorsport is is a niche onto its own sort of within the realms of preparing an athlete they don't move much but they are mega mega fit so uh, yeah that's quite interesting you say that because we've we had a chat we bounced ideas around for quite a while and what we're going to talk about today so um we started off with you know because we used to uh sit and have chats about kind of stuff we'd seen on social media and things like that back when we lived together, we thought about going through a load of myths and things like that and then decided that maybe wasn't the right way to go, although we've got a bit of that in there. But we decided we we're going to talk about kind of like, I guess a few of the myths that are out there, but also how people get the most out of their training and decide what's right for them. So having, like you say, probably your experience with working with athletes like that, you don't think of, or most most people probably don't think of a, a motorcycle rider having to be really fit and strong to do their sport because like you say they don't move a lot they, they sit on a bike and just hammer it around a track as fast as they can 
yeah, it's um, it is quite surprising considering how much they or how little they move. It's the same with a, 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 a driver. Um, you know, their arms are doing a little bit, the shoulders are doing a little bit, but they're also having to deal with shed loads of, of G forces from all different directions. Um, and that in itself is knackering because you're just bracing against stuff constantly. Um, and then if you're on a bike, you're also wrestling this hundred and something kilo bucking bronco between your legs as well. And it's all of a sudden it becomes really hard work, even when visually you don't seem to be doing a lot. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is very niche and it, it does raise a lot of questions about what you do that counts. That's a key point. And that probably brings us nicely into the first topic we're going to talk about. So the first kind of myth we, or we, we kind of uh, pinpointed with, within training is this kind of whole term of functional training. So for people who've seen it and you can probably still search, like search the hashtag functional training on uh, Instagram or somewhere and find, you know, it usually goes with people standing on like BOSU balls or Swiss balls and, you know, balancing doing squats on them or hanging a, a kettlebell off a resistance band on one side of a barbell and squatting or something mad like that because it trains your core more, it makes it unstable and therefore you've got to work harder and, it's then been termed kind of functional training. So I guess it probably leads into that in terms of go on, what do you, what do you from a strength and conditioning point of view class as functional training? Uh, I, I've, it's tricky one. Cause I, I, I don't really, the term's sort of been ruined by all these people that they say that something's got to be functional and it's just been taken out of, um, taken so far away out of its, meaning that it's, it's now this like pariah of a term that if it, if it's functional, I, I don't, I don't care if it's functional, it's whether you're going to get any use out of it or not. Um, it doesn't have to mimic you doing anything in real life necessarily. Um, you know, these people that are standing on Swiss ball saying that they, it's going to improve the economy. No, it's going to make you good at standing on a Swiss ball. You tell me when you're going to do that in real life. Cause you're not, you know, you could argue that when you when you're squatting, you're not going to end up under 100 kilos of, you know, with a bar on your back. But that fundamental movement is useful for a lot of other stuff, and the health benefits are quantifiable to some extent. We're standing on a Swiss ball. What benefits are you get out of that, other than it looks like you're training for Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> it's, it's it's pointless, absolutely pointless. So. It, it is a little bit of a washy term now. Um, and there's some guys out there that have, have built entire careers or, you know, like um, approaches to training built around it being functional. And that could involve everything's got to be a, a rotation or um, everything's got to involve Olympic lifting or everything's got to be done by this certain model because it's more functional. No, it's bullshit. No, it's everything's malleable. Everything's everything is malleable and it should be changed and, and adapted to fit the athlete. Um, but as soon as you, you try and fit what you're doing to a specific model, even if it is a, a broad term like functional, it you're gonna lose out somewhere, I think. You're gonna miss something. 
Um, just, yeah, just not a big fan of it. It's all novelty bullshit. So when it comes to, I guess, like working with athletes, then how do you decide what's, I say, functional for that athlete or what that athlete should be doing in the gym to get the most out of their or to support them in their sport is probably the right term, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, the actual impact of, uh, that, that we can have on outright performance is, is minimal. I would, you know, in terms of skill uh, execution is minimal. What we're trying to do is give them the physical capacity to execute that skill better, either faster, more robust, uh, reduce injury risk within a certain movement or something. There's got to be some benefit somewhere, but it's very rarely to do with the actual physical execution of a skill. Um, so for that, you'd break it down, you'd look at the, the movement direction, you'd look at the type of movement, the you know, the type of muscle contractions that are involved, the energy systems that are used, the circumstances under which that athlete is going to experience um, their sport. And then you try and look for the, the, the gaps uh, or the weak points, the, the bits that might be overlooked um, in, in general physical preparation. Um, you know, it's like, ankle strength daft little bits yeah that sounds common sense but you'd be amazed how often it's overlooked in you know even in football um not necessarily the higher levels but you don't have to go very far down the leagues to find to find clubs where it's not a consideration um and it, it shouldn't be the case but yeah so we try and take all that into consideration and find out then what fits the bill uh, for the least interruption? Because then you're looking for like bang for buck, what gives you the best return for as little outlay as possible? Every single thing you ask an athlete to do is, is additional stress. It's additional load. It's, it's something else that could add to their overall um, stress that ultimately might lead to overtraining. Or, you know, so you're trying to do get as much back for as little input. It's lazy training, basically. But I, th- I think there's something, Pete, like, cause, so you obviously, you know, the, the foundation of your business, you like, is, is personal training still. So you still work with kind of general population clients as well. So mm. how does that, because I think that what you said at the end there is trying to get the most kind of bang for your buck, spotting the weak points and sort of, um, I guess, applying it to that person so you can do, well, lazy training, as you call it. How do you take that approach and apply it to your um, kind of like everyday clients, if you like? Yeah, well, with with sort of strength sports or, um, or everyday clients, it's probably a little bit different because now the thing that you're graded on is what you can do either in a gym or... Um, as an offshoot of that, maybe how you look, um, like with or with strength sports, lift you can't you can't get strong to lift weights heavy without lifting heavy weights, yeah. um, and it's, and that's probably more similar to general population clients is that you've now got to do the thing that they want to be good at uh, directly. Um, if it's getting a better bum, you're going to have to do something 
that involves your ass. <laughs> so it's, there's no two ways about it and you're going to have to actually put you know some serious work in so um it's still an element of of bang for buck there's no point going out and bashing 10 or 15 sets of something because you'll have stopped getting any benefit you do as what you need to get a response and then you move on and you do something else and get a response somewhere else and you move on and you go and get a response somewhere else that's efficient that's that's all it is you're just getting more back for the effort that you're putting in. So it's not doing 15 sets of uh, banded uh, kickbacks or something like that for uh, <laughs> activation. 10 sets of 10 on everything. <laughs> yeah. So if we've put on them, so if you were, uh, I guess from my point of view with, um, with, with clients, it's a case of taking, like you'd still do, uh, I guess I say like with an athlete, you probably do like a needs analysis and things like that and then decide on their training program based off that. How do you do that with, I guess like your everyday clients again? Uh, it's yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is a sort of watered down version of, of what we do with athletes is um, part of the, part of the analysis will be an assessment of some sort, typically a movement assessment, quite a rudimentary one. As I'm not a physiotherapist, if I need to get a physio involved, I know who to ask. Yeah, and there's a very, very small handful of physios that I that I would know locally that I trust to to be involved with on on that level. Um, and I know what they sort of excel in. Um, so I know who to who to contact on that front. So there'd be a, a fairly rudimentary analysis of of how somebody moves or any you know, basically spotting any glaring red flags of, of strength differences and, and things like that um, check that they've got four ranges of motion also deciding whether that that movement is, is something limited by um, a lack of mobility that's changeable so like muscle or you know it, it tissue related or whether it's a bony interference um if that you know, some people aren't built to squat in a certain way. Some people aren't overhead athletes. Well, you've just got to decide whether they're the type of people that should be doing overhead dumbbell press. If not, don't do it. It's, so once we've got that, we'll look at what they can do, what they can't do, and what they want to be able to do. And we just try and fill the gaps in, in, in a logical progress order. So choosing the exercises that are going to meet those needs, and then we might have a progression of exercises that, that we could use over time. And then we might look at the strength factors um, or the conditioning factors that are get them going to get them to where they want to be as well. And we just layer all that sort of stuff up and find a, a nice little compromise that lets them do the training that they need to do versus what they can do. And the thing with the, the uh, general population is that we've also got jobs and families to consider. Um, so it's not like that ones on Instagram that have got some supplement sponsorship <laughs> inbox me inbox me for discount on that um, has you know rows and rows of pre-prepped food that's not fucking real life is it it's hard that's hard to do I think it's important for people to hear is like how well one there's more to just you know I guess putting a training program together for you know even just like every, everyday clients not just athletes in terms of how it should be built for that person and mm. 
like the other considerations that need to be taken into account. So like you said before, training is a stress, but then although, you know, most of us don't have the stress from sport and things like that, but we have stress from, you know, work, family life, you know, maybe not getting enough sleep because the baby's been up crying and things like that. And all that has to be taken into account in terms of yeah. what you're going to do in training. Because like if I've been awake half the night because the baby's been crying and things like that, and then I've got to go in the gym and do heavy squats the next morning, that's going to feel horrendous. Yeah. And it's, it, it has come down sometimes to, you just rip a plan up on the day and you just look at, you go, this, this person in front of me ain't doing this. There's not a chance in hell. So you rip the plan up and you have to go with who's in front of you. In the same way that you program for, for the, for the athlete, for the person, there's no way that you can train. I couldn't train you using a program that I've written for a hockey player because you're not a hockey player. You know, it, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, and sometimes the person turns up and they're knackered. Maybe they haven't got any sleep. Maybe they're ill. You know, you, you've got to change stuff. As, and sometimes that session plan is just a case of get them sweaty because you know that physically and mentally they're not going to be in any, any state to achieve anything significant in the gym. You just want them to leave feeling better than when they came in. And that's still reaching a, a small goal, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so you do have to you do have to consider all of those things, definitely. And it's a bigger part to play with general population than it's probably given credit for. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So the, you mentioned about conditioning before, so that kind of brings us on to the second topic. We kind of myth that we kind of outlined in terms of training and that's about hit training or high intensity interval training being like well fat burning or certainly better for better for <laughs> that's one that you know we had a laugh about yesterday when we were talking and saying i like again I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say i was one who uh fell for this for a while um because we used to see that meme well in the early days of memes doing the rounds of um was it like the painfully thin I think he's a walker or marathon runner or something like that he's about 80 as well and, yeah, exactly and it said this is what happens if you do long steady state cardio and then they had it next to a some ripped up sprinter um yeah. <laughs> if you do intervals yeah it was it was like Mark Lewis Francis or um oh yeah it was it, it was one of the sprint it, one of the British sprinters wasn't it it's like, absolutely shredded and uh yeah, basically, because he did sprints, that's why he looked like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's like saying that if you just do long distance, you're going to turn old and white, and that's, <laughs> that's pretty much the, yeah. the only thing you could infer from that picture. It was absolute rubbish. But no, exactly right. We we were both uh, involved with um, people where that was that was used to sort of justify doing interval training. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm the same. I, I, that's part of why I used to do interval training with people. It's one of the things that you used to sort of sell it to them because it was mildly uncomfortable. Um, and you sort of, you know, it's not quite right. You know, it's not. But, you know, when, you, when you're young and you're starting out, you, you believe all sorts of stuff, don't you? Um, you do. And I think that's probably... Like a good thing is like 
you know, we, we, again, we, when we spoke yesterday, saying stuff like you can hold your hands up at times and go, actually, when presented with new evidence or better information, go, actually, I was wrong on that. Here's what, um, here's what I now, they are now, now what I know is right. And then, but it's actually make, it's making you better as a person. I think people out there certainly will have had this with clients in the gym going, oh, I was wrong on that, oh, I'm rubbish. And they'll, they'll give up because they think they were doing something completely wrong. Yeah, it's you've you've got to know where your limits of, of knowledge lie and want to fill in the gaps somewhere. Um, if you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, everyone's science advances and it changes, and opinions on stuff change over the years. And if yours don't, on at least following that progression, at, at, you know, at some speed or another, you're going to get left behind. And, yeah. and in the end, you're just going to be giving out wildly, wildly bad information. I think that's true as well for us in terms of growing our knowledge as trainers, but also I think it's important for, for our, our clients, if you like, to, to under, have an understanding and therefore to be growing effectively their knowledge so that they can you know, empower themselves. So when they're going into the gym, you know, they have got you know, a rudimentary understanding of what they should be doing and why. Um, and I think to bring it back to that hit versus steady state, it's important for them to kind of know that difference between kind of like hit training and steady state cardio and what the benefit, because there are benefits to both. Yes. Um, yeah, massively. And this is that, that um, you, you were bang on before and you said there's, there's too many dichotomies in, in fitness where it's considered right or wrong or uh, good or bad or, or whatever. It's not. There's. It's got to be right for the for the situation and for the athlete. And the benefits that you get out of hit training are wildly different to the benefits you get out of doing um, the the lower intensity, steady state stuff. You know, purely aerobic. Wildly different. They'll both get you fit, but in very specific ways. Um, you know, if you're looking to lose weight. Yeah, it's going to make you work hard. And it's going to get you fat, and it's going to get you fat. Going to get you fit, and it's it's going to get you um, ultimately good at doing high intensity interval training. That's what you're going to get out of it. And if if you're doing the low intensity stuff, you're going to be good at doing low intensity stuff. But all the other benefits that come with it, so. Um, all the stuff that's down to like, you know, capillarization and um, physically being better at oxidizing fats is another one. Um, that fat burning zone exists and it's, you know, it, it's a thing. You see a lot of bodybuilders walking on treadmills. It's because it, it burns as many fat calories as possible without putting muscle calorie, uh, sort of muscle tissue at, at risk. And, Boring as hell. In reality, who's, who's going to want to do that? If I said to somebody who wants to lose weight, you're going to have to put in two hours, three times a week on a treadmill just walking uphill. They're going to tell me to naff off. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's, you know, and the chances are I'm more likely to get out of them three 20-minute interval sessions, in which case that's the best use of time. So it might not be perfect, but it's the best use of time for, you know, for, for what's most likely to happen we're still going to get a good return from doing hit training. 
Um, but all the physical adaptations are, are totally different. Totally different. So, go on. So, other so from a fat burning perspective, kind of most of the clients I I deal with being of the body comp uh, goal, if you like. I tend to get them to do more higher intensity stuff because of what you just said. It's just more time efficient. You can burn more total calories in a shorter amount of time than if you walk yep. on, a, on a treadmill. You might burn more calories from fat doing that, but you, to get those like a greater number of calories burnt, you're going to be there for hours. Um, so I they say I, I, I typically push people more towards the the high in, higher in, higher intensity um, methods of cardio. Going from a physio- like physiological side of things, what are the benefits for people? Because I can't remember say, say this. What are the benefits of higher intensity cardio versus steady state cardio or lower intensity cardio? Because people generally, like going off what you said before in terms of choosing what's best for the person and kind of what they want to get out of it, probably most people will probably need to do a little bit of both to some degree. So what are the differences between each and... I guess I was going to ask you how do people decide, but people can make their own minds up if what they need to be doing based on what they're training for. But what are the differences between each physiologically? Um, I mean, the, the aerobic stuff is is what it says on the tin, where most of the energy that you get is derived from using oxygen. Whereas the, the, the higher intensity stuff is anaerobic during the exercise, pretty much all recovery is aerobic based but the high intensity stuff is at such a level of force output that you can't get the energy from using oxygen fast enough so you're using anaerobic energy systems um, but as a result of that you're also going to be creating lactic acid and, and metabolites that are ultimately going to stop you from exercising that burden sensor. Um, yeah. Um, and you've only got so much to, to use you, your anaerobic capacity. You've only got so much of it. The faster you use it, the, the faster it runs out. It's, you've, only, you've got like a finite amount and then you've got to stop and, and replenish all that. So if you do in your high intensity interval training, you're going to get better at that you're going to get a better anaerobic capacity you're going to get better anaerobic power all of those things are going to improve you know and that's the sort of thing that if you're cycling that's going up a hill that's that's a hill climb on a bike yeah whereas the aerobic stuff at the other end is letting you get to the start of the hill without being fucked to start with <laughs> yeah so everything's built on an aerobic base everything it's you can't expect to be good at sport unless you've got a good aerobic base that goes for even those that don't do an aerobic sport like weightlifting or throwing or sprinting they're still fit they are still fit it's just how they express it is not what they they're excelling so back to general population yeah you're going to burn more calories by doing in a short amount so the density of the calories is going to be higher when they're doing high intensity interval stuff um it probably works better with family life probably works better with work life um but it all it, it all come down to the goal if if they are doing a marathon i'm not going to train somebody to do a marathon or an ultra marathon 
by doing intensity training. Yeah. It, it's going to serve very little purpose. Pretty much all of what we're going to do is going to be aerobic and just edging up towards that higher intensity level. There's no, there's no point in doing like proper steep hill sprints for, for a marathon runner if that marathon is going to be run on the flat. Yeah, well, what, what, why bother? Yeah, um, exactly. And I think, again, I got a point you brought up, and that is like the like people going out for a run, let's like say, we said that it comes down to people's goals. Um, and I said, I've sent people out, you know, doing more higher intensity stuff, but actually if this, because it fits in better with work, it, you know, it gives them more, it's more time efficient for them. However, there's times when they're stressed to the eyeballs and it's like, forget that that's too much stress in your body. Just go out for a, a gentle jog or a, a walk. You'll burn some calories. You'll give yourself some headspace, and it's a lot lower, less taxing. If you like a lot less stressful for, for their body um so again it kind of comes back to picking the tool for the job at the at the right time i guess yeah exactly and it's that takes years to sort of get used to when you're advising people as to what's going to work and what's not and then also an understanding of, of who stood in front of you as well um that's that's a big deal because there's no formula that you can follow necessarily um you know jack going out for a long walk might be great for somebody, but if they live in the centre of Manchester, the chance of, you know, I wouldn't want to walk around Manchester for an hour and a half. Yeah. It's it, I just not, not unless there's a pint at the end of it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely undoing the, the purpose of it. You see what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's got to be adapted in, in as many ways as possible. So there's nothing wrong with doing it because it serves a purpose. It gets the job done. It's considerate of the time available. Um, it's probably easier to concentrate for 15 or 20 minutes than it is to really concentrate hard on maintaining a specific heart rate for an hour and a half. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, that ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people. Nothing wrong with it. Okay, so if we move on to the last one, and it's probably quite good. So you've got, um, so we're, we're going to talk about strength versus size because mm. I spoke about this with the lads last week and it probably works quite well because you've got a very successful kind of women's weightlifting group that you train uh, in the gym. Now, I'm guessing some of them probably had it beforehand, but I've often had it with clients where people automatically assume that if they're going to lift weights, they're going to build muscle and they're going to, effectively turn into like a bodybuilder um so go on why why is that not always the case or strength doesn't like increasing strength doesn't always necessarily improve building a ton of muscle and getting massive yeah it's um there's i mean for a start there's massive inter-individual differences between who can put on muscle and who can't you know, some people will find it insanely hard to, to build muscle, not just from a calorie perspective, but because they just find it hard to build muscle. Um, so that's, that's one aspect, but there's a lot more to uh, strength than just the size of your muscles. So the expression of strength is an amalgamation of everything from uh, the size of the muscles 
but it's how many fibres run, run next to each other. Not just how big the muscles are round. Um, we've also got to consider how many of those muscle fibres can be used at the same time. Um, we've also got to consider the biomechanics of that individual. And there's nothing you can do about the biomechanics necessarily. It, it changes over time slightly through through the size of the muscle and where it pulls from. But in terms of where your um, tendons attach, there's nothing you can do about that. So you could get, you know, twins even that look the same. They've got the same size muscle in, in terms of circumference. But then one of them's got a tendon that attaches like half a centimetre further away from a joint than, than than their sibling and therefore they can lift more weight. It's where, where everything else is, is accounted for. There's nothing you can change about biomechanics and you have to consider those things. So size is, is from my, um, my opinion, is largely... Uh, I say superficial that's that's wrong but it's it's just how you look you know and it does have a significant part to play on your strength it does um and the size of the muscle is probably the biggest impacting factor on how strong a particular muscle is but there's more to the strength aspect you know in terms of neural capacity then you've got other tissues attack you know can your tendons put up with it things like that um how well can it absorb and reuse forces? There's, there's a lot more to it than than just going, oh, you're big, you must be strong. Or, you know, or I, I want to get big, so I'm just going to lift loads of heavy weights. So it's going on that one then. So, like, it always used to be a case of if you lift kind of heavy weights for low reps, so like probably five and below, that was like strength training. You were straining just like absolute strength to get stronger, like powerlifting stuff. But then if you trained like say eight, 10 reps and above, it was all hypertrophy and trying to grow big muscles and almost bodybuilding style of training. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, nothing's really changed on that. It's still a, a broad rule to follow, but, it's on the assumption that you're training to near failure or with, or, you know, with, um, with a maximal weight for whatever reps you're doing. So I, I could do five reps, but using my nine or 10 rep max, but it just means I could push that weight faster. So I'd be getting better at moving a weight faster. You know, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more variables involved um size is, is largely stimulated by by mechanical stress um and you that can be got through lifting ser some serious heavy weights but it's also closely linked to the amount of volume that you put through the muscle as well so that's where that sort of eight to ten twelve rep sort of range comes in is that it's lifting enough weight to make a difference over as the amount of reps that you get um to build up huge volumes of, of weight that you've put through the muscle in a session now lifting 100 kilos twice is not the same as doing 50 kilos four times 
and it's not the same as doing 25 kilos eight times. The total amount's the same, but the, the way in which it's achieved is totally different. Um, it's just like different flavors of, of, of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same thing there's just so many different ways of of presenting it and you can't expect your adaptations um to not reflect what you're not asking the body to do so that's probably a, a good point for us to go off to try and tie it all together is like we've spoken about this today and the lads I spoke we had on the show last week kind of said about the difference between training and exercising is it's there to your training to achieve an outcome, whether that's, you know, body composition, so lose a few pounds, look better for your holiday, or whether it's for a specific sport like you have with your, with your athletes and things. Yes. So it's about, you know, like say asking a specific question or putting a specific stimulus on the body and then getting it to adapt to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if, if you are training for something in particular, you've, you've got an end result in mind or just progress in a specific way, um, you've got to put that stress through the body. Or adaptation is really specific, really, like really specific. If you're just looking to stay healthy, just move. Just do whatever and enjoy it. You know, that's, and you've mentioned training and exercise. Exercise will keep you fit and healthy long-term broadly not necessarily considering any any specific health outcome but it will keep you healthy which training is specific to a, to a, a goal there the goal oriented outcome of it you are putting the effort in in a very very specific way to get that return um and like example going back to the you mentioned my, my women's weightlifting group We've got all sorts of people in it from all ages. We've got some that like to lift heavy weights. We've got some that like to do a bit of a competition. You know, they're all friendly competitions, but they like to compete. They like to lift heavy weights. They want to get stronger. Great. But then we've also got a couple that are, you know, in the 60s and 70s that just want to enjoy it and they want to carry on being as physically active as possible for the rest of their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. The way you approach it is obviously very, very different. But something's better than nothing for all people, I think. Oh, definitely. And I think I can't really say it. So as you said, like everybody to some degree needs an element of athleticism, whether that's like you know, grandparents just wanting to still you know be able to play with the grandkids or whether it's mm. like weekend warriors, you know, like, myself for example wanting to play play rugby and not get my head kicked in or whatever um everybody needs some degree of like kind of athleticism whether it's say just somebody who's got bad back from sitting in the the chair at work all day they need some form of i say athleticism or tra- athletic training to to correct that and to help them out with it um i think the big thing we've got out today is it's picking the right tool at the right time it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect but it's got to be situational specific and individual specific. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if you are like general population, you're not quite sure where to start, just start, start doing stuff and, and find out once you've started now where to aim your effort. Don't so, wait for everything to be perfect before you start. Just start doing something and ask experts 
you know, ask professionals in it. And then you can sort of gear your efforts and, and make that a lot more pinpointed. So on that then, if you had somebody in front of you right now who was either new to the gym or felt like their training results had stagnated and then wanted to kick them up again, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them? Um, probably going back to, this could go for both people, going back and just doing the basics well. In, in terms of bang for buck, you're not going to get much more than um, for a large proportion of people than doing like a, a squat movement, hip hinge movement, all that sort of stuff and doing them well. You know, if, if they're squatting a good weight, make sure they can do it full range. You know, if they're doing a good deadlift weight, yeah, sure, can they hold the shape properly? Can you increase the range? Can you put them on a, you know, on a riser or something and see if they can um, just move through a big... So there's some improvement to be got somewhere just by doing the basics well all the time. Um, yeah, that's, that's well, probably plump for I know it's a really washy sort of <laughs> fallback answer but you say that but I, I again we've spoken about this before it kind of often is is like going back to that functional stuff we spoke about before is you know you see somebody doing a single leg pistol squat stood on a BOSU or an unstable surface something like that, and everyone goes oh wow it looks cool and that but actually it's not bringing about a lot you see another guy squatting you know five sets of five or whatever, then that's probably doing him more good than the guy doing the cool looking exercise on there. But people often get that they neglect the basic stuff because they think it's too simple. Whereas actually that's probably the stuff people should be more doing. And that goes for diet and training. It's not about always doing the, you know, the fancy things. It's the other fancy things get a lot of attention, but actually most people are getting better results from just, doing the basic stuff consistently well yeah yeah totally it's uh, it's what's going to be like 80 90 percent of of most people's progress it's just hitting those consistent markers hitting them well you know um ticking as many boxes as you possibly can for for the effort that you're putting in those little one percenters two percenters um, those little bits on top, yeah, they, they add a bit, but that's all they are. They're one percenters, two percenters. It's easy to ignore the boring stuff because it's boring, or it can be boring for some people. Um, but if you get involved in the process and learn to enjoy the process, you probably go a little bit further than just trying to be fancy. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think that wraps us up for today. So, First off, thank you very much for coming on. It's been uh, it's been really good. It's great to have a different input. And certainly because I think a lot of people like, well, I say that a lot of people, myself, I like to think of myself as an athlete at times. So seeing how, <laughs> and, uh, like what you can learn from people who do actually deal with athletes on a daily basis is really good. So um, you do put out some good info on social media and things. Where can people find you if they want to find out more? Oh, I, I put out good information about twice a year. Uh, <laughs> it's not just the good stuff. That's all I put out. It's twice a year. Um, I'm on at Sore Performance on all platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, contactable for questions or 
uh, advice or anything, if there's anything that you want to hear my opinion on, I'd be more than happy to dish it out. I'd definitely hit him up on that because you say he does himself a disservice. He's not the most consistent poster, but what he does put out is is good and it's good seeing like the updates from that, that women's weightlifting group is class. Um, when you see, like say, some of the, when he says he's got people from all different backgrounds in it, they do. And it's just seeing them like lift and like, just like having fun and achieving PBs is really cool. Um, so I'd definitely go and check him out. And he says saw performance, that's S-A-W performance. Um, so thanks very much, Sam. It's been really good. Um, as always, if you've enjoyed this, please give us a review on iTunes uh, and leave us a five-star rating if you can. Um, you can check me out on uh, social media at Coach Rimmer on Instagram and Twitter and at CoachRimmer.com on Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions or any topics, any people you'd like to see get on here, feel free to drop me a message and let me know. And I will be back and we'll see you again next week. Cheers, Andy.